Good morning. Welcome. It's uh, good to see you. And uh, welcome if you're joining us online. Um, I've got two announcements for, for this morning. Um, the first is about this evening. Um, some of you have been brought up in Christian homes and it's all part of uh, the furniture for you. Some of you are new to it. But I guess all of us would ask, what is so valuable to someone that they'd die for it? And uh, tonight in, in our service, we're going to be hearing from um, a Christian from Yemen. And uh, he's going to be talking to us on video about what it's like to be in that situation where to become a Christian is at least at risk of, of dying for it. And John's going to be talking to us uh, about Jesus' teaching on the happy people who are persecuted because they belong to Jesus. And the second thing is today in our service, one of the things we're going to be looking at is just how powerful prayer is. And it's really just a reminder that um, a number of us get together before this service to bring our Sundays to God in prayer. And we can all be part of that. So if you want to be part of that, we get together about 20 past 10 every Sunday morning. Let's uh, continue our worship um, by singing. And when the music starts, let's stand and sing, though the nations rage. And it's great to remain, remember who the king really is. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
So we're going to be reading in the Bible. We're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 17, which is on page 59 if you've got a church Bible. So they're journeying in their escape from Egypt. They're a little while into their journey and they're moving on. And this is where we get to at the uh, beginning of chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What should I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall drink the rock, you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrelling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Today I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did, as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we're looking forward to uh, John uh, teaching us from that passage. Uh, But next we're going to sing. Then after that we've got the children's talk. So if the children would like to come down the front and Mark's going to give a children's talk after the next song. So when the music starts, uh, let's stand and sing.
Now, last night I went down to Tesco's and I was doing a bit of shopping and part of the, the shop, a little section in the shop, caught my eye that hasn't, to be honest, I haven't been bothered about it for a few years, but it caught my eye and, uh, and I knew I was doing the children's talk this morning and so I went over there and I had a bit of a look at what was there. I wonder if you can think about what section of the, the shop I might have gone to and it wasn't the salad bar for anyone questioning me. Well, I'll give you a clue. This is one of the things I found in this section. And yeah, this section isn't normally there. It's only there for a small part of the year. But this is one of these things that was in it. What do you reckon that the section was all about? Yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, isn't it? It says on it, I'm home compostable. Very romantic. Lovely. So that was one of the things in there. And if you go into 
Tesco's and you look at this section, there are different things that you can buy if you want to show someone that you love them. So, what else was there? Well, these were there. Oh, that's sweet, isn't it? Lovely. And uh, these are hand warmers. And what you can do is you take them out. Have you seen these before? And then there's got a little metal disc in there and then you click it a couple of times like that and then it should heat up. So what I'll do is I'll give it a few seconds just to work and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll pass it to you so you can have a feel. There you go. So if you go on a cold walk on a winter's day, God, wow, you can feel that already. Have a feel of that. Okay. So that one's not quite there yet. Give that a few more seconds. Oh, no. There it goes. Yeah, do you want to pass it along? Feel that. Can you feel it nice and warm? Is it nice and warm? So if you're on a cold winter's day and your hands get cold, you can stick one of those in your gloves or have it in your hand and it keeps you warm. Is that a nice gift to give to someone? Yeah, and it's got love on it. And it's a way of showing someone you love them by giving them a nice gift. Good, isn't it? What else have I got? Um, well, this one. Look at this. God, cool, that's a nice gift, isn't it? A hot chocolate making set. Wow, yeah, I know. That'd be a nice gift to receive, wouldn't it? Imagine if you got that from someone you think, yeah, they love me. So, there you go, a hot chocolate making set. Uh, or, you've got something like this. Notes. Now, it does say notes and nags, but hopefully it says, I just wanted to say, so hopefully you'd write something nice on there. And you'd say, I just wanted to say how much I love you and how wonderful you are, or how grateful I was that you did the dishes, or whatever it is, that you might say, I just want to say how much I love you. So you could write little love notes to someone that you love and that you care about. So you could, you could give all those lovely gifts. Shall I take those back? Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you know, I heard a story, uh, well, I read a story, it was actually just this morning, and it was about someone, he was a husband, and he loved his wife, and do you know what he did? He wrote a piece of music for her. That's pretty clever, isn't it? He wrote a piece of music for her. And then one morning, do you know what he did? He got 17 musicians to stand all the way up the stairs and to play this music. And so she was woken up to this beautiful piece of music that he had played. That's a pretty big gesture of love, isn't it? He really loved his wife. It was lovely. But you may be thinking, Ugh, I don't want a boyfriend, I don't want a girlfriend, or I haven't got a husband or wife, I don't want a... Yeah. But you know, in the Bible, there are different types of love. And so you may have love for your family. Maybe parents or brothers or sisters, if you can love them. I know it's hard sometimes. But maybe you can love them. Or, what about friends? Hopefully all of you have got good friends at school. And hopefully you can show love to them. They might be being kind to them, or playing with them, or helping them. And hopefully you're a good friend to them, and you show them love. And maybe they show you love. And that's a a bit of a challenge for you this week. When you think of Valentine's Day, think, how can I show love to my family? And how can I show love to my friends? There's one thing that was there last night that was sort of for friends, I think. Look at that. Bestie for life. Bestie for life. So that's the sort of thing that you could give to a a good friend. Here you go. It's a, a scented candle. So have a smell of that and pass it along. What do you think? Do you like it? It does say not for children, but hopefully it'll be alright passing it along. Sparkling pomegranate. Is it nice? Yeah? You like that? Be a nice thing to give a friend? (laughs) 
the gid. So, those are different things that you could give. Now, in the Bible, we see that the greatest thing that you could do for your friend, the greatest love that you could do for your friend, what do you think it is? The greatest act, even better than buying things like that for someone. What's the greatest act of love that you could do for a friend? What do you think? Should we find out? Yeah? This is what it says in the Bible. Can someone read this out for me? Go on then, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. Elsewhere in the Bible it says, this is the greatest act of love. Jesus gave his life for us. So we might be kind to other people. We might give other people nice things to show that we love them. And that's a good thing to do. It's a lovely thing to do. But you know, Jesus, he didn't just give us a present. He gave us himself. And he allowed himself to die on the cross so that he could give us life, real life, eternal life. And that is the most amazing gift. And the Bible says, because Jesus loved us, well, firstly, we should be amazed. But also, we should then love other people too. So when you think of love this week, and you think about Valentine's Day, I expect you'll hear it a bit about in school as well. Think about Jesus, and think about, he showed the greatest love. Not by giving a present or a gift, but by giving himself as a gift. So that we can have eternal life and be forgiven. And I think that is a wonderful thing. Lovely. Thank you very much for listening, and I'm going to hand back to Tony. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well, in the Bible passage that we've read, um, you can see that there's a battle going on. And I'm thankful that as far as I know, no one here is uh, going to a literal battle this week or has had a literal literal battle in the last week. But, But I do know that all of us have come here with things that were tough things that were, were hard. And we're going to pray in a minute. But just before I start praying, have a think. What is it that you would like God to help you with this week? Or today? Well, what is, what's your battleground? Because I don't know but God does, and you can bring that to him. So just spend a few, a few seconds thinking about what you want God to help you with, and then we'll pray together. Our Father, we do thank you that you love this world so much that you gave your only son that whoever trusts in him won't perish but will have life with you forever. Oh, we're so glad that you love so much. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be warmed with love for you so that we respond in the right way to our loving Heavenly Father. So that we look to you for everything. 
Oh Lord, we're, we're conscious in this world there's so much sadness, so much badness that goes on and we pray, Lord, that you will bring peace in the Middle East. We pray that you will bring a just settlement of the situation in Ukraine and we pray that you'll be with your people there who are literally facing bombs and bullets and hunger and starvation. Oh Lord, we we can't imagine what they're facing but we know that you are good and you are their God and we pray that you will strengthen their faith. And as we hear about your children in different places in the world where to belong to you means that they're facing prison and beating and punishment and separation from their family and even death. Oh Father, we do thank you for our brothers and sisters who love you so much that they are not just coping but they're wanting to share the good news that you bring with others, even at such high risk. Oh, we pray, Lord, that you'll be with them. We pray you'll be encouraging them. We pray especially you'll encourage those who are in prison, away from their families, and pray that you will encourage the families too. Oh, Lord, you know. Yet we know that in, in this world there is so much evil because of the evil one. And we know that he fights against everything that is good, everything that is pleasing to you. And Lord, you know that we can be bowed down and weighed down, sometimes because of the bad choices we've made, sometimes because of the bad choices other people make, sometimes because of the pressure of life. And we are glad that you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us confidence in you, that you will work. And we ask that you'll hear our prayers. We pray that you will help us to stop doing the bad things that we do. We pray that you'll give us peace and a closeness to you. So we look to you as our Father in heaven. And we know your smile and we know that you love us in a more and deeper way, not just on paper, but in our emotional hearts. Oh Lord, we do thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you've been teaching us through your word this week. We pray that you'll give us a better appetite to hear your voice. We pray that you will take what's already been taught this morning in Thrive and in Rooted, and use that greatly. And we ask that as John comes to teach us now, that your word will be powerful and effective. So Lord, do be with us, we pray. Amen. So before John speaks to us, uh, we're going to sing again. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing this battle song.
So last week we were again following this group of travellers, this nation which God has established as they went further into the desert. They'd been saved, they'd been delivered, they'd gone through the sea, a bit like baptism it's pictured, and they're on their journey to the promised land, just like Christians are in their lives. We envisage them, you remember, with L plates on. They're learning lessons on the way. Often, very slowly, are they learning their lessons as they grumble so often rather than trusting God. Well, they continue on their way this week as we go into the next chapter and they have more problems. They have more problems. Problems, 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 you could say, about the pathway they take on their journey. In our chapter, chapter 17 of Exodus, we have two problems. And yet they're following God. The first verse says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. So they're following God's leading and yet they're running into problems. Well, you may have experienced the wonderful joy of new life in Jesus, the sort of transformational position of knowing forgiveness through him, but it doesn't mean you won't run into problems. It doesn't mean you won't run into problems. Please don't think that the Christian life is problem-free. Peter tells us in his letter not to be surprised when we faced different trials of various kinds. Problems, many sorts of problems, do confront Christians in their lives. But this chapter is not just about problems, it's about the Lord who is with them in their problems. It's a very encouraging chapter in the way in which God meets with them in their problems. And that's an encouragement for us. I don't know what your current problems are. I guess there's a whole variety in the room. I guess there's a whole variety in your life. And this morning we're going to hear about the Lord who meets with people in their problems. Well, the two events of chapter uh, 17, they're quite different in many ways. Um, and there could have been a message on each. But they are also connected. They both happen at the same place, Rephidim. In both of them, God is at work through their problems. And they both involve the staff. They both involve the staff. People in work sometimes say, don't they, if only I had the staff. Or the things that you could do if you had the staff. Perhaps you've heard that phrase. Perhaps you've used that phrase. Well, it's not talking of a workforce here, but it's talking of a a stick or a rod. Moses' staff. The staff of God, as it's been called in Exodus. It's been key to dramatic events so far throughout what we've seen in Exodus and it's going to be key to both accounts that we have here this morning in Exodus 17. You have it in verse 5. You have it in verse 9. And the staff is symbolic of God's, God's power. 
God's authority, sometimes of God's justice, of God demonstrating his might and bringing it to bear on a situation. The staff, the rod, the power of God. And we'll see how this works through in these two problems. So, off to the first problem and it's another water problem. You may remember they had that a chapter or two ago. Well, this is a a different sort of water problem and the main heading is God's provision from the rock. God's provision from the rock. They, They haven't learnt their lesson from Mara, where the bitter water was turned sweet. They haven't learnt their lesson from the manna, where they were daily provided, and would be daily provided, with bread from God. And so we find here again a quarrelling people. A quarrelling people. At Rephidim there is no water, so they pray and trust. No, they moan and quarrel, verse 2. Therefore the people quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. In fact, the word quarrel here is in many ways stronger than the grumbling word that we've had before. There's similarities to it, but it, it seems to have sort of legal overtones. They're demanding what they think is theirs by right, this water from God. It's as if they're wanting to take Almighty God to court. They're wanting to sue God. This is strong stuff, these quarrelling people. And Moses responds, carrying on in verse 2. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But they carry on in their thirst in verse 3. They grumble against Moses and say, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So it's similar complaints before, but in some ways they've widened it. They're not just saying you're out to get us, but you're out to get our children and you're out to kill our livestock too. They're close to letting Moses have it physically as well as verbally. And poor Moses is sort of tearing his hair out at the situation in verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And this is a bad time for the Israelites. It's a bad time for the Israelites. It will go down in history as a time of hard-heartedness. Psalm 95 picks this up, the end of verse 7, where the the song says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. You sometimes wonder about place names. Place names. I was thinking about local towns and thinking, well, where did they get their names from? I thought a bit about about it and I got most of them wrong. 
Tunbridge Wells, well, that's a bridge to do with tun weight, isn't it? No, it's to do with a tun which was a farmstead and a bridge. Uckfield, well, to do with the River Uck, well, I don't know which came first, but Uckfield is dated back to the 12th century. Uh, it was Ucker's open land. He was a fellow in those days. Crowborough. Well, crow is a golden yellow colour, like of gorse. And burr is a, is a hill. So Crowborough is thinking of a lovely golden top to a, a hill with gorse, which is much nicer than a, a black crow bird, isn't it? So that's where some of our place names come from. Well, the names here, the places here are given a name and they're called Massa Massa and Meribah, verse 7. Testing and quarrelling. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrelling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Well, that's not a very good name for a place, is it? But that's a description of what's happening with these quarrelling people. They're quarrelling, strong language, with God. They are testing God by their attitudes and actions. And that place stands as a warning to us even Christians, to keep a a watch on our hearts and to pray for a tender heart. Do you have a softness to God in your time of difficulties? Is your heart soft or, or is it frozen solid as we say? Or is it somewhere in between, like a slush puppy, where it's starting to get quite hard? They had hard-heartedness in this place, in their attitude to God as they went through their difficulties. And it remains in New Testament times and through the Bible, it's a warning to us to beware of our heart's reaction in times of difficulties. Grumbling, doubting, quarrelling with God, demanding of God, assuming that God is not with us. Well, um, I think that the, the attitude of these people makes God's actions um, even more remarkable. We come on to a quenching rock. A quenching rock. Moses is called to act and it's to be public he's to walk right in front of them and he's to take some of their key leaders with him he's to have the staff of God which has been so powerful in the past in turning the Nile into blood months earlier they are to go to a prominent rock And then, hear what God says. God says he will stand before Moses on the rock. And again, there's a hint of legal language here. It has the overtones, if you like, of of a courtroom. It's Israel versus 
God. It, it can be understood almost as though God is putting himself in the dock as God stands before Moses on the rock. It is God having accusations against him. And Moses is then to use the staff to strike the rock, to strike the rock. At a later incident, he does it in annoyance, but not this time. And he strikes the rock with God's command and water gushes out of the rock. Plenty of it. We're told later in Psalm 78, 15, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. And it needed to come abundantly because there's hundreds, there's thousands, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the desert. And it's as if God's authority is striking God himself. It's as if justice is coming down on God so that the grumbling quarrelers can have the refreshing dream that they need. It's astonishing. And what's it pointing to for you and for me? What's it pointing to? The New Testament helps us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 And they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And the rock was Christ. That rock was a picture of Christ. The people are, are, are refreshed. They're given what they need. They're enjoying life. Their needs are met amply. Jesus meets our spiritual needs amply. Jesus says in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus supplies our spiritual need. And how does it happen? He is struck, if you like, by the the power and authority and justice of God on the cross. The justice comes down on the Lord Jesus instead of others. He is the rock which is struck as Isaiah anticipates. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. So punishment, chastisement, piercing, crushing comes on Christ so that we can receive healing and peace. This is what it's pointing to. The quenching rock. So this is a great message for us this morning. That through Jesus, our spiritual needs, forgiveness, peace, 
hope, knowing God, safety forever, no condemnation, comes through what happened on the cross. And so where does this leave us? It leaves us that we should come to the rock. We should come to Christ. Now I don't know how they felt when water started to gush from the rock. How do you think they felt? How quickly did their mood change, do you think? Did they just sort of forget everything and sort of launch themselves towards the streams? Perhaps they did. Were some of them a little bit more stubborn and sulky because they'd just been moaning and groaning? How quickly did they come? I don't know. But what they needed to do is they needed to come and have their thirst quenched by what God had provided through the rock being struck. And that's what we need to do. We need to come to Jesus. We need to receive from him living water. We need to find forgiveness from him which comes through the cross. You may have been, you, you may have been a, a number one grumbler. You, you may have been Mr. Quarreller or Little Miss Grumpy. And yet it was the grumbling, quarrelling people which were able to come and take the water from the rock. And you are invited to come to Christ, whatever your history and background, and be refreshed by the living water that comes through Jesus. God's provision from the rock. Well then, for our next major problem, and we call this one God's protection from the hilltop. God's protection from the hilltop. So they're still in the same location, but the scene is very different. In fact, it is quite um, traumatic, really, for, for the Israelite community. The Amalekites pick a fight with them. Uh, it's the first uh, battle that the Israelites encounter. It's going to be the first of many, and it's going to set the scene for how they should approach things, really, in the future. The Christian life involves many battles. You'll find that if you're a Christian. Often it's summarised as the, the, the world, the, the flesh and the devil fighting us. The devil tempts us to do wrong, the devil discourages us, the devil tries to deceive us, the world tries to pressure us to conform with its pattern, which is so often against God. We find in our old nature a temptation to, to choose bad choices, again, and to go bad directions and have bad attitudes. The church has its battles as it contends for the truth in an unbelieving age and as it takes forward the gospel to others. And here the people have a battle with the Amalekites and the Amalekites are going to be an ongoing thorn, if you like, in their side over many generations. And they're a mean bunch. They're a mean bunch. Moses adds this a bit later, Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt? How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary 
and cut off your tail those who were lagging behind you and he did not fear God. So Israel was at a low point. They were worn out, weary travellers and Amalek approaches them and it says it at first they target the the laggers, the slow ones. You know when you see these nature programs, you don't like it much, do you? When you see the lions and you see the herd of antelope or whatever and you see the lion prowling and uh, you've got the antelopes and so some of them are running off but the lion's picking out the little one or the limping one or the old one or the sick one. They're picking them off at the back of the herd because they can't keep up with the others. And the Amalekites were like that. At first they were coming from behind and they were picking up the slow ones. And then it seems it turns into a more full frontal attack and battle. And it calls for some action. Enter Joshua. First time he's mentioned in the Bible. The Lord is our salvation. Good name for today. And Joshua is tasked with amassing an army, choosing an army, um, equipping an army. They're to be fighting. There's some things that are going to happen. And in our battles that we face, there there is a need to, to respond, to make decisions, to, to organise, to, to exert ourselves, to be disciplined. There's no sort of armchair, armchair passengering to glory. There, there are battles to be fought. The Bible is clear that you will face that, I will face that. But the strange thing here is that there's hardly anything said about the actions on the battlefield. Hardly anything. It's the hilltop that gets our attention. The hilltop. It's the hands of Moses, not the hands of the soldiers, which um, are the focus in these verses. The success of Israel is more determined by what happens up there, if you like, than what happens down here on the battlefield. Next day, up the hill, Moses holds up the staff. So you've got the staff again in the second thing as well. Picture of God's power and authority. The symbol of God's power is being held up. And something strange happened. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. They were on top. They started to win. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. Well, it's all very well holding your hand up for a while and it doesn't hurt too much for a few seconds. But uh, when you realise that actually lowering them is leading to sort of beckoning defeat and you need to keep them up, well, you know, even, even hands sort of start to weigh you down in the end. In the end, if you've got a staff as well, so help was needed and a a seat is given to Moses, make it a little bit easier. 
And Aaron and her, they go one side each to sort of keep his hands up because God's power is what's needed. God's power up in the air is, is what's so key. And so with up the hilltop, hands in the air, the, the, the staff of God's authority, prominent, and Joshua and co have success. Verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Simplicity about it, isn't it? Staff up, success. Staff down, retreat. I don't know if it helps. Maybe think of this. You know, sometimes we you go to places, perhaps on holiday or elsewhere, and uh, they they have a bad signal. And uh, you want your phone to have its mobile data, don't you? So um, you want to draw on the resources of, of, of the internet. You want to see your messages. You want to see your emails. Have your favourite websites. You want to communicate and you get things going. But it's hopeless. You can't because there's no signal. It's just, it's just your phone is redundant. And it's not accomplishing anything. So you, you go out, out of the house, up the garden perhaps, to a higher point in the garden and you, you have a look or if you're on holiday maybe you've, you've gone up the lane to the top of the hill and you're seeing if you've got any connection and some good signal or maybe you're, you find that around your house that your signal varies and sometimes you find yourself going to a window do you? and your sort of hand is up at the top of the window because the signal is just slightly better there and you've got some action happening. Well, it's a bit like that here, that, that Moses, up high, hands up higher, are accessing the, the power and the resources of God. And when down low, that is not occurring. It's a reminder to us of our need for God's power in our battles. In the home groups this week, uh, some of us were challenged about being content. It's not always easy to be content. That's a battle, isn't it? But it ended up, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, the power from God helping us in our battle. Paul, as he laboured hard to teach people truth about Christ, and maybe you labour hard to do that in some way. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works in me. See, God's power at work in the situation. The battle passage of Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 1 Thessalonians 1, talking of how the gospel transformed Thessalonica. The word came not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit and in much conviction. Are we looking for the Lord's power in our battles? That's, that's, that's the question it leads to, doesn't it? As we think of this staff, are we looking for the Lord's power in our battles, in our personal battles. 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In our battle for truth, well, if so, it will, it will lead to prayer. It will lead to prayer, calling on God's power. It's almost, isn't it, a picture of intercession. We, we need to pray. We're weak like Moses. His hand started to, to drop. Sometimes it helps when we're praying with, with others. We have prayer meetings. There are prayer groups. In them, we're acknowledging together our need for God's power. It's an important aspect of the life of the church. We're accessing the resources of God, if you like. In in the prayer meetings, we're up the hillside, if you like. And for us, as we continue to live and serve, we, we need to be seeking God's power. Leaders need to be seeking God's power. It's interesting that the main leader, Moses, is actually up the hilltop, not on the battlefield. Well, usually we end up with a bit of both, but let's not neglect that the hilltop, seeking God's help in prayer. I found it helpful yesterday evening as I was coming back to prepare and I was just about to tap away on the keyboard to get going for the evening service a bit more. And I thought, no, at first I need, albeit briefly perhaps, to go up the hilltop, metaphorically. I needed to, to seek the resources of heaven. I needed to ask for God's power. And as you get up in the morning and you're just about to zoom into the day, well, yeah, but mentally and in your heart, sort of go to the hilltop first and commit your day to the Lord and call on his help. You have a meeting, perhaps, with other Christians to sort something out. You lots of things to discuss, lots of things to organise, but start off by uh, calling on God to, to bless. It's his power that makes the difference. Of course, we are weak intercessors. And we feel bad, usually, when we have the subject of prayer mentioned. And we're thankful that the great intercessor is certainly not us and is not ultimately Moses but is the Lord Jesus Christ of whom it says in Hebrews 7 he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them well there there are so many details here um, I was telling the others before, and I always find it a job to know what to, to, to leave out. I do leave quite a bit out, um, but I find it difficult to leave things out when they impress me, and I think they're significant. Is that here is the final detail I do want to, to get across. So we looked at the staff, and we're just thinking about the banner now, to finish the banner. So God gives reassurance to, to them about the future of the Amalekites, you know, their, their number's up. At the end of the day, it's going to be a menace for many generations. You find that in the Bible. But their time is up. They, they will be conquered. And um, God wants... That's important for them to know. So it's written down. And especially wants Joshua to know that so that he's encouraged for his future leadership role. And uh, Moses has learned a lesson in all this. And he builds a, 
an altar, an act of devotion, as they often did in those days. And he gives it a name and he calls it what we sometimes call Jehovah Nissi or Jehovah Nissi. And it means, it means this, it means the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Well, when we think of banners, I don't know what you think of when you think of banners, but you think of you know, somebody's 21st birthday and there's one of these long banners or you know, 40 today or whatever. We think of banners in that way. Well, banners are particularly a, a more of a military thing. It's a bit like a flag, usually though with two poles and a cross, a, a, a banner, a cross, and it, um, it signifies the, the, the regiment and maybe there's a, a badge on it. If you've ever spoken to people who've been in the armed forces, often the, their regimental badge is significant. And it was a, a rallying point, it was a point of encouragement. We unite behind this, we are strong because of this. This is our banner, this keeps us going. When the, when the going gets tough, we, we look up to the banner and we're re- reinvigorated to go forward. We know what we stand for, we know what's behind us. And Moses has learnt that the Lord is my banner. Reminds us to remember God's strength in our battles. That he is where we draw our source of help from. You're flagging in your battles this morning. That's setbacks again. The Lord is our banner. Chin up, look up, remember God, remember his strength. The Lord is our banner. And so we need to, we need to call on the Lord. We need to call on the Lord. There is a throne for us to go to. Verse 16, you get this perhaps rather strange saying, which understood in different ways, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. And it could be that it's referring to the Amalekites. Some understand it that it's almost as though they're resisting God by trying to grab the throne. I think it's more likely that um, it's Moses because his hands are mentioned more often in this chapter. And I think it's probably more picturing that Moses' hand has been up towards the throne seeking the help of God. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. And that's like us. We're needing the help from the throne. Hebrews 4.16 puts it nicely. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's protection from the hilltop encourages us to call on the Lord, to go to the throne of grace. So, problems, problems, problems? Yes, but God's provision through Christ, yes, but God's protection of his people as they call on him. Exodus 17. Well, we're going to sing a closing hymn, which song, which brings together, I think, uh, both these thoughts together in what we sing. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure 
of my longing soul. Let's sing this through together. provision of water from the rock to your grumbling quarrelling people in the desert and we thank you that Christ gives spiritual satisfaction and refreshment even to those whose life has been so grumbling towards you. We thank you for the way in which you gave victory to the Israelites against their battle in the desert 
and for your protection upon them as they look to you in their need for help. And we pray that in our many battles we too may go up the hilltop in our minds and hearts seeking your strength and your help for the things that we are doing. So we thank you for the truth, the helpfulness of this part of your word and we pray its lessons will stay with us. In the name of Jesus, Amen.